And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Hey, what's going on? We're live again. Yeah. Well, the listeners don't know that we ruined the first version of this attempt, but that's all in on the path of podcasting. Now, speaking of paths, all startups have a path to revenue, right? Well, they're supposed to. Is that what we're going to talk about today? Yes, it's pretty important. Is this? Do we have to call this episode 11.1? Since yes. we are on a second try. For those of you that are listening, we uh, did record this episode once. And uh, anyway, technical issues abound and it didn't sound good. So we're going to do it again, which means we should have an even better episode because we got some practice in. Now, speak, in regards to today's episode, it's brought to you by Gusto. Gusto is a simple online payroll and benefits platform built for small businesses. Gusto automatically files your payroll taxes, directly deposits your team pay. Plus, you can offer all kinds of benefits, 401k, health insurance, workman's comp, all of it. And because you're a Star Puzzle listener, you get three free months once you run your first payroll. Go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Once again, gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Matt, there's a link in the show notes if you can't remember what I just said. So, um, you know, if you need to go to that, do it. Matt, what's revenue? Money. Show me the money. <laughs> now, when I say path to revenue, I'm actually referring to a common phrase and one that I used in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, in which I interviewed you for, but I think a lot of businesses get it wrong. And, you know, we are not able to use our crystal balls effectively. Did I say crystal balls? Yeah, you've got a nice pair of crystal balls. I, I, I know, I know. Mine isn't working though. So understanding the path to revenue and businesses is difficult and it getting it wrong causes a lot of problems and you know we're here we are trekking through the process of starting a tech company i think the path to revenue with tech companies is even harder to predict well that's i mean so many founders think that if you build it they will come right like i'm going to build this thing and everybody's going to magically show up and buy it which doesn't work that way never in the history of tech startups has that been the way that it worked now let me just go ahead and read the definition. That's just the literal definition of revenue. It says in accounting, revenue is the income or increase in net assets that an entity has from its normal activities. Commercial revenue may also be referred to as sales or turnover. Some companies receive revenue from interest, royalties, or other fees. That's the technical definition, but I like yours. Money. How long, and, and this isn't capital. Like 
yes, money is capital, but you can't count revenue as bringing in investor money. We're talking in this episode about how long does it take you to put a dollar of a client, customer, user, whatever you want to call it, in the bank. Well, and when you're starting a new business, there are a lot of different go-to-market strategies and ways to sell your product, right? It could be a licensing strategy. It could be partners that are reselling your product. You could be selling it directly. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go to market with your product, and they're all different paths to revenue. The key is you got to find one of them. Yeah. Now, when we're going to talk, we you know here in my in my trusty show notes, you know we're going to talk about how to grow your revenue. But let, I want to start first with some things straight out of my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, which is how people kill their dreams by not understanding their path to revenue. Yes, Matt, that's the title of the section. Now, it, I say kill the dreams because if you're relying on, if you don't understand your path to revenue, and until it, you've gone down it, you don't. Um, what Matt, what's affected by a, a faulty judgment or, uh, you're, it, when you're not understanding your path to revenue, like, what does that affect? Like, before we get into the things that kill the dreams, like, why is that, why is that problematic? I mean, you could end up, um, with your home foreclosed and divorced, I mean, that's part of the reality, <laughs> you t- right? You, t- you went with the Hail Mary on that one. You yeah, went all the way down. You sent the receivers deep. Yeah. Well, I was looking more along the line. Yes, that could occur, but it's going to ruin your business plan. It's going to ruin your projections. It could ruin your momentum and ability to attract other investors as well. And your whole life. It could ruin everything depending and on you how could, much you yeah. bet on this. Yeah. Do you see now you guys listening can't see, but I'm pointing to Matt. You see that bald spot on my head? That is, oh, that is front. That, yeah, I know. Cause that <laughs> is directly attributed to stress found and encountered on the path to revenue over the years. So yeah, you'll lose some hair, you'll lose some sleep and you might lose your mind because that all occurs too. So, all right. So on, on the, this quick list of how people kill their dreams by not understanding their path to revenue. Well, a lot of times it's because they thought their idea was a lot better than it was. You know, every idea sounds great when you've got a beer in your hand and you come up with it and you're hanging out with your buddies and they're like, yeah, man, that's a great idea. I mean, everybody thinks they've created the next best thing in the world. So Yeah. And we hear that a lot. I mean, we really do. So, you know, when it comes to your idea being better than it is, I mean, it's, it's, you want, you should be optimistic about whatever you're doing at the same time, you need to be realistic. And I think that's one of the things that in the conversations with different people we've had, or I've had over the years is really prevalent is, you know, they're, they're sitting there going, you know, you're looking at their plan, you're looking at their projections and here they are with a commanding amount of market share in six months. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. Is that what you find? Do you find the same thing? Yeah, I mean, everybody thinks they're going straight to the moon for sure. You know, um, Lambos and moons immediately. Everything is going to be a huge success. So, and then also they often think their idea is better. Than it is. So, yeah. You know, yep. All right. So next on the list is a lack of understanding of how hard it really is to get people to spend their money. And, you know, the number one thing I always tell people is just like me at my job at Sacrifice, right? Like I got shit to do. I got problems. I got my own dumpster fires. 
And those things are what have my attention. You can come by and try and sell me like the next best thing since sliced bread. But if it doesn't solve one of my immediate problems, I don't care. I got other things to deal with. And you got a world of free stuff out there. And I mean, you're just competing with it. You know, that's why business to business solutions are easier to sell on many days because people that don't own the company are often making the decisions on how to spend the company's money, which can be done a little free and loose. But when it comes to business to consumer products, man, people are cheap. You know, the an easy example is my wife, Jill, is learning to speak French and using the Duolingo app. Now, recently, I saw that they had raised money at a, their unicorn valuation, and 3% of their users are on their paid platform. 3%. And, you know, that that's the thing is most, most people, when creating projections and plans and their path to revenue, is usually not planning on 3% paid yep. Absolutely. You have a free product at Sacrify, right? Yeah, we do. It's it's called Prefix. Um, and we get about 5% of those people end up paying for our other product. And, that you know, I always warn anybody who wants to sell something to consumers because they just don't pay for anything. Versus if you're selling to a business, you know, like say Sacrify or Full Scale or some sort of enterprise, you know what the difference is between $2,000 or $5,000? Not much. Nothing, really. <laughs> right? Like, you know, you're just working with total different budgets. So, Yeah, and also, you know, like a business spending money as opposed to a person, there's a lot more into that. You know, businesses have bigger budgets, like you mentioned, and have the ability to spend it. And also, it's a lot easier to make a decision to spend someone else's money than your own in a lot of cases. Really, in the end, people are cheap. They're yep. just cheap. They They're don't want to spend money. All right. Yep. So... Next in line of, of how people kill their dreams by not understanding their path to revenue. You thought you had your budget figured out, but didn't. You know, when that's the problem is you, you think you need a certain amount of money and you're going to build the product and you're going to ship it and everybody's going to like it. And then you're going to sell it. And then you're going to hire another salesperson. Like you think you got all this stuff figured out. And then one little piece along the way doesn't work out. And next thing you know, your whole budget is screwed. Yeah, and that's that ripple effect, waterfall, chain reaction, whatever you want to call it, where, you know, especially with tech companies, it takes so long to build software, especially from scratch. And a lot of times, you know, you can't do the next thing until you're done doing the thing you're on. So if you have small teams, a small amount of people working on this stuff, and if you get behind by a month, it throws the whole timeline off and it can affect the path to revenue, especially in you know, what I lovingly refer to as day one startups, meaning like you're on day one and here we go. Like you don't know how long it's going to take to build stuff. And that's, that's where, that's why we did the episodes about business planning tips and all of that, not trying to be Debbie Downer people. Look, the mission statement of this podcast is to tell you the real truth and not sugarcoat it. That's all we're doing, you know? And, and I've, I've learned this lesson just so many times, man. So, you know, here you go. You thought you'd be up and running faster. Next item on the list. Or that was the item on the list. All right. So here we go. You're, you planned for only sunny days, roses, and cotton candy. And unicorns and clouds. 
Yeah, but the problem is, is what happens when things don't go according to plan. They, they're very closely related to not being up and running faster, not having your budget figured out, not knowing that people uh, are cheap with their money. And often you thought your idea was better than it is. Now, yep. in regards to you only plan for sunny days, roses and cotton candy, you know, good plans have have sunny and rainy day contingencies in them. And when I say rainy day, I'm talking about what happens if things don't go well. What part of your plan and your budget? Well, I refer to the oh shit line. What's oh shit? Oh shit, we didn't think about that. Oh shit, that went wrong. Oh shit, Matt quit. You know, it happens. Like, there's a lot of oh shits in business, man. I mean, it really, really can get in your way. And, you know, it's like, I don't know. I mean, Matt, do you have any, any examples of, of rainy day stuff? Oh, a pandemic. How about a pandemic? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I think in any kind of startup, you know, we, you talked about the, the planning and budgets and all that stuff, but it's just, you know, you plan like, oh, we're going to raise money and then we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And just you end up not raising money. <laughs> and, you know, it's just you have to plan for you have to plan for worst case scenario. I mean, when it comes to raising money, I think one of the things that, that a lot of people that um, that a lot of people just don't understand or they don't have a feel for is that it takes a hell of a lot longer than it, well, oh, maybe yeah. than it should. Yep. I mean, and most of the time when you're reaching out, especially if it's institutional, if you're looking at VC or that kind of money, I mean, you're looking six to nine months and, and sometimes five or six months before you even hear yes or no. Yep. It takes a long time. And, but that's the problem, though, because people count on these funding rounds. And I mean, I've had countless calls and emails. And to, how, how long is your runway? And they're like, six weeks. But we just started talking to investors. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, my God, this is going to get ugly for you. Yeah, like, the investors really, are going to get really, really good terms, ugly. too, because they know you're screwed and you got to take the money. Because you're going to be desperate. You're going to be wanting to take it. And that I mean, that's the problem. All right. So next on the list, and this one's my favorite, because this is like, a, this is a big splash. This is like a triple shot of reality. You thought things would actually occur in a logical manner. Allow me to explain, Matt. Okay, so if you go to business school or just like read a book about how stuff works in business, it'll often say A to B to C to D to E to F to G meaning those are steps or things that occur in the timeline. Now, in reality, it never occurs like that because this is, um, make this up on the fly, this is a more likely scenario. You got through A to only realize that B should have been in position D, but you needed the person that was operating in, sec in the C step to get something else done, but they quit because they had a weird in-office relationship with E. And they broke up and C didn't feel comfortable anymore. So they quit and it took longer to replace that person. So now A to D to F to G to B to C to then maybe E could be the plan. I don't know. It can be different every time. The fact is, is things never, ever occur in the logical manner. They have Murphy's Law for a reason. And, and especially when you work with software and you're trying to figure out you know, a, a new product and launch the product and how you're going to sell it and all those things, you run into issues where 
especially different customers can pull you in different directions too, right? You're like, well, we thought we would add these features to the product, but now I got customers demanding that. So instead I can't do these things and this other customer is not happy because they want those things or whatever, right? I mean, just, you just get pulled around in all sorts of different directions. You know, I'll give you an example, like another software related example. Uh, you think you're on track and then Google Chrome uh, up issues some kind of update and then it breaks a bunch of shit on your front end. And now you got to go mess with that rather than actually being on time. So now you're behind. Or for example, if you're building an app, iOS 14 came out and broke half the app store. Thanks, Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, because they are trying to shield your your data a little better, but at the same time, breaking half the app store. And so there's just a lot of unforeseen things that can occur. Now, when it comes to people, I find that people are the reason that logic usually doesn't prevail. Computers are actually pretty logical or can be trained to be. They just like, hey, I'm going to do zero or one. People, mm, not so much. Humans make lots of mistakes. They do. They do. Okay. Well, that's my list of how people kill their dreams. And I don't know, man, path to revenue. You know, I think we should give a couple other real examples. And we we're talking, you know, this is serious about how to start a tech company. It can take years for a tech company to actually get any revenue. It took Gigabook two and a half years. Didn't stack so by take a while. It did. And, and actually a great example of this uh, based out of Kansas City was iVerify. Um, which ended up having an exit for like over a hundred million dollars, I think. And they had taken um, basically a patent from the local college around scanning the white of your eyes as a, for biometrics. Right. And I actually had the opportunity to invest in it, but I didn't invest in it because I didn't understand their path of revenue. I'm like, okay, this is cool technology, but how are you actually going to make any money with this? And it took them years to figure it out. Eventually, I think they got they got that in um, embedded in all the Samsung phones and stuff to like unlock the phone and, and do that kind of stuff. It took them a long, long time. And as an investor, I didn't invest because I didn't understand the path to revenue. A few years later, they sold for a bunch of money and it was a big exit, but they sold to Alibaba, I think. Um, so you just never mm -hmm. know. Yeah, you just never know. And as an investor, I have scared away from it because like I just don't see how you're going to make any money. So I'll give you an example. My brother and my brother-in-law and my sister are both doctors. And several years ago, he came to me with an idea. You know, I got that call. Hey, I want to talk to you about an idea he had. So apparently, uh, in the ER where he he was an ER doctor, people come in all the time and they're passed out, and their phones in their pocket, right? And they can't unlock it. They can't get into it for a number of different reasons. And when you are unconscious, you do not have the ability to tell a doctor or a medical professional what you're allergic to, what medicines you can take, what you are taking. So they wanted to, he wanted to put a, a, a badge on the outside, like on, for sign in, you know, like a little, like whatever that snake around the coil. I don't know. It looks like a barbershop thing to me, but anyway, so they wanted to put that and be able to open someone's phone. If they did a medical thing, he said, this would be amazing. It would save insurance companies, tons of money. It could save lives. It could do all of that. And I looked right at him and I said, Chris, do you know how long it is going to take you to sell this to someone? If it is even sellable. And he said, well, what do you mean? This could be huge. Like Blue Cross Blue Shield would save hundreds of millions of dollars. I said, can you prove that to someone? And how long do you think it's going to take you to get in front of a decision maker? On top of that, you're also talking about platform level stuff that affects a phone. 
I said, this might be one of those things that's just best that the world gives for free. And, you know, he who was he took the advice and didn't really do anything with it, although he didn't like the advice. And uh, not too long later, there's actually a, fun a function in Apple that you can turn on for that. So they, that's exactly what happened is Apple basically gave it away. But you would have been struggling for years to realize yep. any type of revenue from that because you're talking about things that are so intangible and so unprovable. You can't, it's like, okay, how many of, what percentage of our listeners have benefited over the last three years and nearly 600 episodes from listening to this show? I don't know. How would I even begin to prove that? Because you can't, which makes it very intangible and difficult to prove. Now, one of the things, Matt, that you can prove is that taking care of employees has never been more important. And for years, Gusto has been helping more than 100,000 small business owners run payroll, offer benefits, onboard new employees and more. That's why they call it the people platform. And it doesn't just look nice, it works. So you get your payroll taxes filed, deductions calculated, your team gets paid. Uh, you can even offer health insurance, 401ks. You get three months free. There's a link in the show note, Matt's gusto.com forward slash start a puzzle. You can focus on your path through revenue if you don't have to do all that shit that I just mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, okay. Now, for the exciting part, we needed to get the cautionary tales out of the way. How do we shorten the path through revenue? How do we make it a little less treacherous? Well, you got to narrow your focus on who you're trying to sell your product to and what your product does sure makes it a lot easier. And it's really hard to go, Hey, I'm going to sell everything to everyone. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that, I, I've made that mistake and I, you know, I've been using gigabook as an example at first. I was like, man, anybody could use this. And then I was sat down to market it and I was like, Oh shit, anybody could use this. Now, why is what, why does what seemed like a strength, suddenly a weakness well it's because the buyer also can't identify if they're a customer you know like i used the example i think before on another podcast i was looking potentially for a, a lawyer to help me with a traffic ticket well if i go to a lawyer's website and it looks like they you know do divorce cases or something or business law like eh, i don't know if they can help me but if i go to one and right on their home page you're like we we're the specialists in traffic tickets i'm like all right i know i'm in the right place you know, it's, uh, the buyer has to be able to self-identify that you have the re you know, right solution for them. It, so establishing your value proposition and defining your benefits of what you do and really figuring out who your ideal customer is. Yep. And so early on, do do like who's your ideal customer? Like, oh, let's say so who stackifies ideal customer? Well, and the problem is early on, you, we all think it's everybody and that's the biggest mistake we make. And the more you can do to hone it down to a very specific group, the better. So Stackify's um, target audience is software development managers. It's directors or above of software development teams. But it gets you, you get deeper into that, right? Because it's also potentially the industry or what country are they in or you know, all those kinds of things. And you have different buyers, right? The, the type of buyer at a really large company is very different than a very small company um, and the buying process, how, how fast they make decisions, vendor approvals, all that sort of stuff is very different. And depending on the type of product that you sell, you may do a lot better in smaller or larger companies. 
Yeah. And so and it takes time to figure this out, you know, and we look at full scale. So that's the company we own together, fullscale.io, check it out. And, you know, we're coming up on three years of being in business. We just hired our 200th employee. Woo, woo. And the thing is, is, I mean, quite honestly, about, it took us about half of our timeline so far to truly figure out who our ideal customer was. We had to try a lot of different customers and get it right. Now we really know, like we've got it zeroed in. Like it's, I feel great. It's very precise. It's very predictable. And we know who we're great at serving and what kind of clients are, because we're not built for everyone. And yep. that's, that's one of the things that's a real challenge in the beginning, because here you have a new business, it's burning cash. You want to get down that path to revenue. It's easy to go. Yes, 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 yes. And you should maybe be going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And not saying yes to everyone, because one of the things that can lengthen the path to revenue, and you and I have both been down this in different businesses, like once at, at uh, Gigabook, we were talking to an online clothier and we were trying, to, we thought they'd be a whale of an account and they weren't. And we burn up like a shitload of time, energy, effort, and focus on trying to find them a solution and it didn't pan out and it made our path to revenue even longer because we were focused on that rather than just trying to generate revenue in general and you have a tip a similar story from your vent solutions days right yeah and it's really hard when you're very early and you're trying different things and you you keep chasing customers that that becomes really hard right i mean think about twitter as an example it's the simplest thing in the world right they could have added all sorts of functionality and eventually been like Facebook, but instead they decided like, nope, we're not going to do all those things. We're going to stay focused on this one thing. And as an early startup, it's really hard sometimes to do that. Um, you know, my example from, from Venn Solutions, I think you're, you're talking about, I think was more about our go-to-market strategy. We, we had a partner that was going to resell our product and we thought we were like going to be billionaires because they were going to resell our product. It was the largest company in the industry and, they had like hundreds of salespeople and, you know, a year later they didn't do anything and it was a complete waste of our time. And that's where it's really hard when you're, when you're early on is you can chase all those different sort of, of customers or partnerships and you think they're all going to work out, but you always got to have plan B and C working at the same time. That's for sure. And another thing you need to understand when you're a brand new business is those big enterprise accounts, they know you're brand new. And they're usually sophisticated and smart enough to know that isn't a good thing for them. And, you know, so I mentioned that example. I had two other examples with Gigabook, um, one of which was the city of New York. And they needed a booking thing because they were doing some kind of training and they were going to have 250,000 bookings over three years. I came in second place out of 30, which is really interesting because they call you to tell you you came in second place and ask you if you still want the deal if the first place finisher somehow falls through, which is the shittiest phone call in the world to get because you recognize the number and you think you got the deal and then you find out you didn't. And had another one with a world, came in second place at a worldwide uh, furniture store i won't name them but they have a shitload of locations but both of them said we love what you do we love the product but we're not positive you're a big enough company to handle what we need meaning like you have five employees 
yeah, we're not 100% confident you're going to be able yeah. to deal with this. So it makes it hard. And, you know, that's really frustrating. It's kind of like uh, when you're younger and you're like, I want the job. And they're like, you need experience. How am I going to get experience if no one will ever hire me? Well, yeah, this and is tough. And that goes yeah. back to the point of your ideal customer, right? Like when you're really small, you know, you can't necessarily service super large accounts because they're just not going to trust you. That's that's yeah. another part of it. And something else I, I want to mention, you know, we talk about different revenue streams and business models and getting other people to resell your product is a very, very difficult thing. Um, for example, at Vint Solutions, we had people all the time that wanted us to resell their product, but it's like, we make a shitload of money selling our own product. Why would I try and sell yours? Right? Like, um, the, only re the only reason we would do it is if it helped us sell more of our product. Then it was a win-win and it made sense, right? Like, for example, we had an integration with Kelly Blue Book. And so, you know, we, we needed that Kelly Blue Book integration because it was part of our product. Otherwise, we wouldn't have just randomly sold Kelly Blue Book. Like, we, we don't have time for that. So it, that's the hard part about working with resellers is it's really got to, you really want to partner with people that it helps them make more money somehow, right? It, it helps whatever their core business is to, to resell your product. Um, but getting resellers are, are very difficult. Well, that's, and those, and let's throw out a couple examples of revenue streams. I mean, you have direct sales channel partners and white label agreements. And what we were just talking about channel partners are that's where they're going to plug in your offering within something else they sell. I think an easy example of the channel partner is anything software related where you've signed up for a service and they're like, do you want to add this for $5 a month? And it's not their product. It's someone else. Yes. That's a for channel partner. For sure. If you go to GoDaddy and register domain, they try and sell you 25 things through the checkout process. <laughs> Well, that, but that might be their own stuff. That might Some not even it. be channel partners. So Some let's a different, well, I'll give you an example. It might be if you went to XYZ hosting company and they said, would you like to install Stackify? Sure. There you go. Now that we're talking. I like that. that. Yeah. That's a yeah. Good one. That'd be a channel partnership. Yeah. But here's the thing is those relationships take forever to create and yes. they're, and you got to build it in. Yep. It's not just like, oh, sure, just throw my name in there. We're good. It's never like that. White label agreements, same kind of thing. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of legality. There's a lot, I don't know. They usually don't happen fast. Direct sales might be the fastest path to revenue. Well, and that, that gets back to the issue we had at Ben Solutions I mentioned earlier. Where we, we bet on a partner that was a channel partner to resell when we should have been spending that time beefing up our own ability to do direct sales, you know? It's just really, really difficult when you're 100% reliant on a partner. But when it works, it works really, really well, too. So I've also seen it work really, really well, but it's it's difficult. Now, back to my point earlier, though, most, most businesses that are going to be able to really generate heat for you as channel partners, they're not going to love it that you're five months old. No. Or a nope. year old. I mean, nope. they're not. They're just not. Because they, there's a, a C of competition out there that probably does something similar and might do it better. And that's the next thing I want to talk about is, well, look at what you're, you want to shorten your path to revenue. Look at what your competition does. You get two options. You can go toe to toe with them or you can do something they don't. Well, and part of it is understanding their business model, right? You know, you're trying to figure out your path to revenue. It's understanding what was their path to revenue. What is their business model? How, how did they make money at this? 
did they just license the intellectual property and they didn't build it or did they do they resell through channel partners like they resell through big box stores they resell through amazon or do they sell it direct like you can only buy it from their website you know understanding how your competitors sell their products and you know if they're successful at that then you can guess that you'll be successful in the same model yeah and i agree and by the way and please listen to this listeners if part of your path to revenue involves the idea that you're going to acquire someone else's users that switch to your platform, please put that number really, really, really low. Because unless you're like remarkably better, it is really hard to get people to jump platforms. You got to be not 30% better, not 50% better, like two to three times better because People are habitual. They like what they know how to use. I'll put myself in the list. Like there's things that I use and I don't even care if there's something better. I already know how to use it. I don't give a shit about switching, especially if I'm going to save $3 a month. If I gave you an Android phone for free, would you take it? Nope. You know why? Because I'd have to learn how to use it. Yeah. Same, dude, it's the same thing with like a with a Windows-based PC. I've used Mac for so freaking long. I'd have to my dad calls me all the time. And two things. He's like, should I just switch to a Mac? No, because then I'll have to teach you how to use that. <laughs> and then he asked me questions on uh, on the Windows machine that he has. He's like, I managed to put my tray over on the side of the monitor. How do I change that? I was like, I don't know. I have no clue, Dad. I really don't. But so it's a setting somewhere that I don't know where it is. So and then he'll call, keep calling me back until I eventually just Google it, which would be the best option for him to do. So, OK, so on that path to revenue, focus on your strengths, especially early. Focus on the things that you do well and put your energy, your effort and your push behind that. Trying to be good at six different things before you're great at one is a shitty plan. Well, and I think this relates both to the product and the team, right? The, you know, if there's something really special about your product, focus on that instead of trying to pivot and do 25 other things. Focus on what's really unique about your product and your strength, but also the team. You know, if, if one of the founders on your team is really good at a certain go-to-market strategy or channel partners or direct sales or whatever it is, leverage those strengths, you know? Don't try and, you know, do something radically different that nobody knows how to do. Yeah, so we went through this at full scale and you know here we are rapidly growing company. We had 100 employees after a year, which is crazy. Like that's freaking crazy. Like that just doesn't happen a whole lot. And we sat down at one point and we we're like, okay, there's a million things that we should we can or could do, but we shouldn't. You know, so we decided to focus on placing developers. Not virtual assistants, not low-level like website builders. We wanted software builders and developers and decided that in order to support that, we needed QA testers, project managers, and very little past that. And, and we knew that there was enough of a market and it fit well with our own experience, understanding, and expertise. We stayed within lanes that we were also comfortable driving in. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And, you know, that's the thing. So what are you good at? And and it made it easier for us to sell. And honestly, Matt, it, and, you know, I was the salesperson for the first two or three years. It made it a hell of a lot easier to be credible because we could talk. I could talk to a potential client and then say, hey, look, I've been in your seat. I know what it's like to be a founder. 
I know it keeps you up at night and everything that we've built with our company is designed to make that easier. And that is probably the best example of a value proposition. Hey, we can write code. We can charge you money. We can do this. We can do that. How about we help you sleep better at night? Because honestly, that's really what people want in the end is for life and things in their business to not be a pain in the ass. Just want things to work, man. That's it. Like, dude, I'd pay a premium for that, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's why I have an Android phone. That's why I have an Apple. (laughs) Some of that's, but you know, it's like, here's the thing though. Like I said, you wouldn't switch to Apple. No way. Forget it. See, but it's, it, and no one's right or wrong. It's a comfort. Hey, guess what? They both make calls. If I called you right now, you would receive the call, right? Yep. For me, I, I surf the net. I use some simple apps like Slack. I go to ESPN.com. I take a few pictures and I'm good. I don't have, I don't have a whole lot of use case. All right. So this feels like the anti-path to revenue because we're going to encourage you to spend more money in this next one, but invest in talent. I think people are super cheap with their sales and biz dev and marketing people in the beginning. And they're like, yeah, well, we'll figure it out. I've done it. It's not a good plan. Find people that can sell shit, but they get paid so much. It's because they're good at bringing money back to the castle. Yeah, and I mean, this goes with software development too, right? You can find the cheapest person possible to that you think is going to build the software, but then like six then months go by it all over again. It, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work right and it's full of problems and now we got to do it all over again. And it it's hard because if you don't have a lot of money, it's really hard. And that's where sometimes you have to give you people equity in the company and, and stuff like that and beg and borrow or have them work part-time even. Um, but talent is key. You know, one of the big moments at Vin Solutions was when we hired a, a specific individual to be in charge of sales that had all the connections, had worked in the industry forever, could call up, you know, the owners of all sorts of, of the businesses that we were trying to target. And he just lit the fuse. The rocket got lit the minute he started. And sometimes it's it's having the right talent and the right people on the team is the key. Yeah, well, we went through three salespeople before we found our current salesperson. Cooper, you're doing a great job. And you know, with that, you, we say invest in talent. You know, I brought in someone that had a lot of history with sales, but didn't have a whole lot of history with tech. So in that, we had to create a little one-two punch, you know, and I kind of turned more into a sales engineer. That's exactly what I was doing right before we hit record today. I was working with a client that's about to start with full scale, and I was giving them an approach pattern. I said, this is my suggested approach. Why? They wanted to talk to me. I got a referral for this client from someone I knew really well. They said, Matt will take good care of you. And I said, which Matt? (laughs) (laughs) I really did say that, but it's it's kind of funny. So, okay. You know, one other thing I wanted to kind of breeze through this, uh, this one is, you know, understand what your performance indicators are. uh, And by performance indicators in the beginning that, especially if you're a tech company, it's like, okay, understanding Matt what talk about CAC customer acquisition cost that's a big one uh customer (laughs) lifetime value CAC to LTV ratio is a big metric that people track um customer acquisition cost is huge and early on your customer acquisition cost 
may be actually dramatically higher or lower than normal. They could be lower because you're able to get some of your you know, friends and local network of people to sign up, right? Like at full scale, we went through that early on. It's like, okay, we knew a lot of people. It was easy to get those customers. And then you get to a certain point where you've exhausted that and you're like, okay, now we got to go find people that don't know us. And the cost to acquire those customers is totally different. Um, but there's some other key metrics that you need to know or things like your margins. Like, are we making money when we sell our product or do we think we're going to lose money on every deal, but somehow make it up and scale? <laughs> um, yeah, well, you know, there's other metrics that are key too. Well, hang on. Let's talk about that for a second because that's a mistake a lot of people make in planning is they run a very small test. And they're like, oh, it's only going to cost uh, $10 per sign up. The problem is, is that caps out quickly. Yep. And, and the same way you're looking for a hockey stick in your revenue, your customer acquisition costs and all of that can have a hockey stick look too, where signing up five to 10 people a day might only be $10 a trial. But if you want to sign up 100 a day, uh, that it doesn't might scale. go up four times. It doesn't yeah, scale it doesn't well scale at all. that way. Because you and saturate that's, and the that's, market. Right. And, it, and that's related to limitations within your own market or people that are searching or looking or whatever, however it is that you're finding them. And that can be, that, that can be challenging. Okay, so you know, we went through a lot of stuff here. Uh, I think that, that we have effectively outlined some ways to grow your revenue, uh, given some cautionary tales. And before we get into the founders freestyle and give the best advice that we can give, I just wanted to give another uh, thanks and a shout out to Gusto. If you run a startup, you have to try Gusto payroll, deposit paychecks and file payroll taxes automatically. You can get your employee health insurance, onboarding, expert HR and more. You can get three free months. Go to gusto.com forward slash startup hustle. Link in the show notes, Matt. You need to go down there and click it. So... I'm amazed at how many of our guests that have been on Gusto sponsored episodes are like, yeah, we use it too. So that stuff is a pain in the ass. I hate Hell payroll. Yeah. It's a it's challenge so and there's a lot of complexity to it. Okay, here we are. Founders Freestyle. Matt, what's the best, what's your best advice? What are your closing arguments for Path to Revenue? Yeah, I think the key is you've got to you got to figure out the vision of your product and where you think the business is going to go, who your target customer is, right? And you don't want to you know, you want to stay true to your, to your mission, but you've got to listen to your early customers and their feedback and you got to listen to their feedback. And if there's an echo chamber there and everybody keeps telling you like, Oh, no, we don't like this thing or no, we don't like this thing, or it really should do this or really should do this. You've got to listen and get that, that validation as you're trying to figure out your, your path to revenue. And sometimes you got to make a big pivot. Sometimes you're like, look, we're, we're trying to do this thing and just like, nobody wants it, but we could take the same technology and we could reuse it in a slightly different way. And there's a whole different niche audience that would use it. And that's what you got to do. Um, a great example was the local company that was trying to um, help people fix their speeding tickets, right? And it's like, well, how do we attract customers? We don't, how do we get people that want to use this service? And then they pivoted like, well, we're going to focus on truck drivers because they desperately need this. And that one little pivot turned it into a big success. And sometimes it's just a small little change that makes all the difference in that path to revenue. Before I before I go, I want to apologize for asking Matt about his CAC and your crystal balls. That's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I know you like talking about both, but you know, 
there's appropriate and there's not. Yeah, I think the best advice I can give you with Path to Revenue is start now. The sooner you start trying to get revenue, the sooner you start answering some of these questions that we talked about, some of the things that, you know, like you need to understand if you're waiting to try to sell what you've got to try to create marketing content, any of that, if you're, if you think that that's going to be something you're going to figure out quickly after you build your product, it's going to be too late. You're going to extend that path to revenue significantly. I, you know, many of the things that Matt mentioned, uh, it takes a while to understand. You got to understand where that cost is going to go up, where it's going to rise, what you need to figure out. And sometimes you think that your value proposition is something and people are less tuned into a different channel. So it just takes a little bit to figure that out. I think you can never start generating hype too early. Matt, you know, I love hype. So you can create it a number of different ways, but it takes time. Like we love content marketing, but people say, ask all the time. They're like, how do we do that? I'm like, we got to start now. If you, if you hope to have it be any good in six months. Yeah. Takes time. It's just the way it goes. Well, Matt, part 11 of 11 is in the books. 11.1. I should say we made a better version software versioning. Yep. And we forgot something last time that we got to mention this time. What's that? Sales, sales cures, cures ales. Ales, that's right baby sales does cure i i should have led the episode with that yep focus on the money maybe we should have just said that on repeat like over and over and over and over <laughs> matt i'll see you soon for part 12 see ya later startup hustles brought to you by fullscale.io helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.